We read in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Again, it's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a, such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit dis distributed to, according to his will. It's good to see all of you this evening. It's been a great day of worshiping God together. It's been very encouraging to see a lot of visitors. And I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been several new faces even today of folks that we haven't seen in quite some time. And we're really, really glad that, you know, health is allowed and, and circumstances have allowed for a number of our, our family to return and to be with us. And it's been great to be able to see each other again. Um, want to ask your prayers. You know me, I don't like to talk about myself a great deal, but uh, this week is kind of unique for me. Uh, several months ago, I was approached by the Southwest School of Biblical Studies in Austin. That's a preacher training school. And they asked if I would come and teach a class for a week. And um, I visited with the elders here about it. And they very graciously said, yes, we'd, we'd love for you to be able to do this. And so tomorrow morning, I'm going early and I'm going to be, I'm going to be teaching preaching students all day long from tomorrow through Friday, uh, six hours a day. I, I appreciate your prayers in that regard. Um, <laughs> It's not, not my schedule, but it's, it's a schedule. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm really excited about the prospect of doing this. Uh, when Angie and I lived in Africa, um, that was my primary work was training young men to preach. And I really enjoyed that aspect of ministry. Um, there's a lot about it that, that I really enjoy. And so I'm looking forward to this particular week. I'd appreciate your prayers on my behalf. I'll be back next weekend. I'll be here again and, and all that. But um, thank you so much to the elders for allowing me to do this and I'd appreciate your prayers as, as I go. When I'm there, I represent you as the Katy congregation and um, I appreciate, appreciate so much the opportunity to do this. And again, thank you so much for your prayers. If you got your Bibles with you tonight, open them up to the book of Hebrews. All of our lesson tonight is going to come from this particular book, the book of Hebrews. Sometimes it's good, and this is kind of, I guess you'd call it a negative lesson because we're talking about warnings. We're talking about things that all of us need to be on the alert for, but Hebrews really does that. The book of Hebrews is just 13 chapters. It is rich in its depth. It talks about Old Testament concepts, about things like high priesthood and about temple sacrifices and about how all that applies to Christianity. But the main point of Hebrews is don't give up on your faith. If you are a Christian, don't give up on your faith. You need to hold on to what Jesus Christ has done for you and don't wander away from it. And as you read the book of Hebrews, the Hebrews writer points out a number of dangers that every Christian faces. He specifically is talking to his brethren 2,000 years ago that were struggling with some things. It was really difficult for them to live as Christians and they were thinking because they were converted Jews that maybe going back to Judaism, back to the law of Moses was the way to find salvation. That was, it was an easier way of life. And after all, isn't it all written down in the Old Testament? Isn't it all in the Bible after all? And the Hebrews writer is making the point emphatically, you cannot go back. 
You must turn to Christ and whatever it costs to follow Christ, whatever it costs to be a disciple of Jesus is worth the effort. It's worth the investment. It's worth the cost. And as you look at the book of Hebrews, a number of dangers that every Christian faces are found in this particular book. And I'd like for your attention this evening to just bring out five, because I think these five dangers not only applied to people in that day, but I believe the same dangers face us and confront us every day that we live as well. So as you look at the book of Hebrews, open if you will to chapter two, and danger number one is this, common dangers for every Christian. Let's see if I can get my clicker going here. Oh, this may be one of those days. Oh, here we go. Okay. All right. The danger of drifting. Brother Kyle read just a moment ago from Hebrews chapter two, verses one through four. And as you notice in the passage, therefore we must give the more earnest heed, the Hebrews writer says. That means we need to listen even more closely to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. You see that in verse one? I don't know if you've ever been out in a boat, but boats are drifting constantly. And now they have really fancy motors that have GPS uh, devices on them and the motors will take care of the boat and make sure it kind of stays in the same location. But even then, if you're not paying attention to what the boat is doing, you might well look up after a while and find the boat has drifted far from where I thought it was supposed to be. And the same exact thing happens to people in their faith. We live our lives and if we're not paying attention, if we're not giving earnest heed to the word of God, if we're not investing in the things of scripture, it may well, we may well find ourselves looking up and seeing, I'm not nearly as close to the Lord as I thought I was. I'd like to share with you under this particular point some warning signs. Warning signs that may indicate that you and I are drifting because you don't really know it when you're drifting. You don't really realize it until you look up and see how far from the shore or how far you've moved. Danger number one or evidence number one that we might be drifting is when we neglect God's word. If God's word is not a part of my life, if it's not something that I'm investing in, I'm not reading, and the only time I ever open my Bible, if I open it at all, is when I come to worship services or Bible study, I may well be in danger of drifting. Neglect of God's word. That's what the Hebrews writer says, isn't it? Hebrews chapter two, verses one and two. Give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard. Make sure you're emphasizing the things of scripture because you may have read what the Bible says a number of times, but it always has something fresh and new and applicable to all of us in our lives. Jesus said in Matthew four, verse four, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need to invest in the Bible, invest in the things of scripture, invest our lives in the study and the reading of God's word. Another evidence that we may well be drifting is when in our lives we get to a point where there's very little desire for prayer, very little desire for worship. Prayer and study of God's word are twin disciplines. They go together. To study God's word and to spend time speaking to him that's, that's how a relationship is carried on. A relationship is about conversation. It's about sharing ourselves. And when God's word speaks to us, God is speaking to us. And when we speak to God in prayer, we are telling him what's on our hearts. 
And when there's very little desire in our hearts for worship and for prayer and for drawing near to the presence of God, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, Psalm 42 verses one and two. When that's not us, again, there's a danger we may be drifting. Another evidence that we may be drifting, when we begin to offer excuses for neglect of duty. Well, I know I really should be in services. I know I really should attend and be a part of the worship assemblies in person with the Lord's, Lord's church, but I've got, I've got other things going on. I've heard a number of people over the years say things like, you know, I've, I've just been distracted. I've just kind of let things slip. I've just let things go in my life. And I haven't paid as much attention to the Lord and to his people as I should have. When that describes us, it's not just a matter of where you are physically, it's a matter of where you are spiritually. It's about drifting, drifting from the Lord. Luke 14 verses 16 through 34, Jesus talks about counting the cost of discipleship and he talks about what it means to follow him and what it means to be a disciple of his. It means that we give ourselves to him. It means that we constantly seek to please him in all of our ways. Another evidence that we might well be drifting Maybe there's a decreasing concern in our lives for salvation. You know, salvation becomes to us like just another thing, something else that's, you know, it'd be nice to have, but I could maybe live without it. I could be happy and I could be content and I could be fulfilled without salvation, without the Lord, without forgiveness of my sins. And oftentimes in our, in our lives, we get to a point where we're not thinking about the vital nature of salvation that Jesus Christ has provided what he's done for us. Psalm 126 verses five and six, the psalmist talks about those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He's talking about investing in the things that concern salvation. We shall all come with rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves because the Lord has done mighty things for us. Is there a decreasing concern for salvation in your life? It may well be that some of us need to think about drifting and wake up and ask the question, Master, is it I? Am I drifting from the Lord? Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter three and notice this warning next. The Hebrews writer warns us about the sin of unbelief. Notice Hebrews chapter three and verse 12. There is a danger that we might drift. There's a danger that we might leave the Lord, that we might lose our anchor and our, our support, and we might find ourselves drifting far from where we originally began. But there's also a danger that we might fall into the pattern of unbelief. Hebrews 3.12 says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Not just drifting now, but an evil heart of unbelief. What is an evil heart of unbelief all about? I've been doing some study personally on this particular sin over the last several weeks. And what's interesting to me is when you talk about unbelief, it basically boils down to this. Unbelief basically, it's just like it sounds, unbelief just basically says, I don't believe you. In our attitudes or in our words or our actions, we're just saying, I don't believe you. Maybe you come and tell me a story tonight about something fantastic that you say happened to you. And I look at you and I nod and I smile and I just say, I don't believe you. I don't believe that really happened to you. That's unbelief. 
it's one thing to say that to somebody that's telling you a story. It's another thing altogether to say that to God. And yet oftentimes when God's word proves to be difficult, when it proves to be challenging, when it says something to me that I know I need to change, I know needs to be different in my life, it's easy sometimes to choose the sin of unbelief instead and to basically say to God, if not by my words, then by my actions, God, I don't believe that what you've said to me is true. I don't believe you. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. The Hebrews writer says, when we rebel against God and we willfully say to God, I'm not going to do what your word tells me to do. I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to hold your word as precious in my life. When we say that to God, it starts a pattern that spirals out of control in our lives. It is progressive. The sin of unbelief is progressive. Sometimes people will take one issue, one, one area of faith, and I don't like what the Bible says. I don't like what people have been preaching about this particular area of my faith. I don't believe what God's word says, or I don't believe what people are teaching me about this. And you can hold that kind of as a pocket in your life, kind of compartmentalize it. You know, just this one issue, everything else I'm okay with. This, this one issue, I don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. I don't believe that's what God really intended. And what happens is that's an evil heart of unbelief. It sows a seed. And instead of being submissive to the word of God, instead of being submissive to what God has taught us, we develop an evil heart of unbelief and it becomes progressive. And it ultimately leads to apostasy. The children of Israel are the prime example that the Hebrews writer gives of unbelief. The children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, over and over and over again, they would, they would run out of food or they'd run out of water and they would exhibit the spirit of unbelief. They'd say, why has God led us out here in the wilderness to die? It would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt. And what they're basically saying by their actions and attitudes is, God, we don't believe you. We don't believe that you're gonna provide for us and you're gonna protect us. We don't believe you're gonna take care of us. And sometimes as Christians, we may well say the very same things. God, I don't believe that that's really what you want me to do. When we progress in a spirit of unbelief, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 tells us that we end up without hope because unbelief leads to a departure from the living God. If you depart from the living God, there is no place else where you can go to find salvation, to find hope, to find comfort unbelief. It's a danger. Keep your Bible open to the same passage and notice this, number three, as we think about dangers that every Christian faces, the danger of drifting, the danger of unbelief, the danger of the deceitfulness of sin. Look, if you would, at verse 13. Hebrews 3, verse 13. Exhort one another daily. This is one of the reasons why we assemble. This is one of the reasons why we call and text and spend time with one another as family, as the people of God. So we can exhort one another daily while it's still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Isn't it interesting the Bible puts it that way? That sin is deceitful. Sin never comes and presents itself for what it really is. It always cloaks itself in an attractive aura, an attractive costume. That's why it's deceitful. 
And one of the ways in which sin starts to deceive us is we start to excuse it. We start to say to ourselves, I know there's something that I need to change. I know there's something in my life that, you know, maybe needs to be different, but I'm really not going to let it get that far. That's deceitfulness of sin. Sin tells you, oh yeah, it won't be that bad. You can control it. Or maybe we say this, I'll wait until later, but eventually I'm going to be more committed to the Lord. That's the deceitfulness of sin. There'll be a time later, there'll be time tomorrow, some more convenient day, I'll find an opportunity to turn back and be committed to what I know is right. It's the deceitfulness of sin that says that. Or maybe saying something like this, it's not that serious an issue. It's not that serious. I know people think this is a big deal, but it's not really that bad. Or maybe they say this, I can handle it on my own. I know how to control this. I can stop anytime, whatever it is that I'm doing. God's people need to watch out carefully for the deceitfulness of sin. Because again, notice in Hebrews 3 verse 13, the Bible talks about a hardening effect. When we start to make these kinds of excuses and we violate our consciences over and over and over, I think this is wrong, but I'm gonna do it anyway. When you do that, it hardens your heart and you end up with a seared conscience. First Timothy chapter four, verses one and two. You end up freely doing things that you once thought were wrong, but you know, it doesn't bother me anymore. The deceitfulness of sin is a danger that every Christian faces. Number four, as we think about common dangers, and the Hebrews writer is really emphatic about these, common dangers that every Christian faces. How about the danger of weariness or the danger of being faint-hearted? Turn over in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. And I want you to look at verse three. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse three. Being weary or faint-hearted, sometimes we fight battles and we struggle and we strive to please the Lord and it's just so difficult and it's just so challenging and there's just so much pushback and so much that comes against us because we're just trying to do the right thing. We're trying to please God and serve Him and it gets difficult. And the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 12 verse three, consider Him, he's talking about Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself You consider him lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Weary and discouraged, you see that? Consider Jesus lest you run out of gas, lest you decide this is not a battle worth fighting anymore. Consider Jesus lest you give up too soon. And then he goes on and if you wanted to ask the Hebrews writer, well, how far should I go before I give up? Look at verse four, for you have not yet resisted the bloodshed striving against sin. How long should I struggle and strive to please the Lord? How long should I continue serving him, even though it's difficult and challenging, and even though people around me mock and ridicule me, how long should I keep on? Hebrews writer says, until you're complete like Christ. He shed his blood. Have you done that yet? Consider this. The word weary means, the Greek word, means to exhaust one's strength. to to give every last ounce of strength to something. Galatians 6 verse 9 warns us, do not grow weary in doing good. 
And so the word weary has to do with exhausting our strength. And the reason why people are weary, actually there are three as you look at Hebrews. The reasons why people are weary are three in number. It's not because you don't have physical strength. That's not even what we're talking about. We're talking about spiritually serving the Lord here. Why do people become weary? Why do people feel like Christianity is not worth living for? Why do people feel like they want to give up? The Hebrews writer says, number one, that because we have not considered the outcome of faith properly. Hebrews chapter 11, we call it faith's hall of fame. It is one of the most encouraging chapters in the entire Bible. Because what Hebrews 11 does is it talks about how God rewards those who live by faith. People who put their trust in God and serve him no matter what the circumstances and no matter what the difficulties and they continue in their faithfulness, they find a reward at the end of this this world, at the end of this life. They inherit promises and we haven't properly thought about what happens when we follow in their footsteps by faith. A second reason why people are weary is because we've not considered properly Christ's endurance. Look at him. Look at what he endured, striving against sin. Look at what happened to him. Pay attention to him, lest you think that giving up is the right thing to do. And then third, a reason for weariness is because we have failed to consider that sometimes God chastens us. Chastening. It's a way of God to help us to grow, to help us to mature. Sometimes the struggles that we endure and sometimes the things that we go through are in fact the chastening of the Lord, Hebrews 12 verses five and six. The suffering that we endure and the challenges we face, it's God helping us to grow up just a little bit more. The chastening of the Lord, those whom God loves, he chastens. And if we don't consider those things, we may well grow weary in our souls as well. Have you thought about those things lately? as you struggle, as you, as you deal with the difficulties and challenges of life, have you thought about those things? Because those are what give you strength. And then number five tonight, turn to Hebrews chapter uh, 12 and verse 15. The danger of bitterness. The Hebrews writer says this, start in verse 14. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Bitterness. Bitterness is basically anger. I'm angry. I'm angry about how I've been treated. I'm angry about what's happened to people that I love. I'm angry about things that have been said and done and I can't control those things. I'm angry about how life has worked out for me. I'm angry about those things. And bitterness is when we let that anger just cause a constant state of animosity and bitterness and harshness. That's what bitterness is. Bitterness is when you daydream and you sit around in your daydreams and you think about all the things you'd like to do to those people that hurt you. Or you go back in your mind even worse and you think about all the ways in which those people hurt you. You know, you just replay it over and over and over. So-and-so did this to me and I, I can remember just like it was yesterday. I remember exactly what they said and exactly what they did and I remember how it felt. That's bitterness. To go on a mental vacation to remember the ways in which people have hurt us. 
And it's a way of processing and thinking about and dealing with some of the anger, but it's not a healthy way to do this. And it's not a righteous way to do this. And when we're bitter, what we end up doing is holding a grudge against others. We end up holding a grudge against other, others. And notice the Hebrews writer says, don't let a, any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble and by this defile many. So as you look at Hebrews 12, verse 15, what it says about bitterness is basically this. It's a root that produces trouble. It will produce trouble in your life and it'll produce trouble in the church of our Lord. Not only that, but the Bible says it seems to be contagious. Bitter people breed other bitter people. Many become defiled by it. The Hebrews writer says, Christians, watch out for that. There are a lot of things that happen in this world that are unfair. There are a lot of things that happen to you as a Christian that will not be right. You watch out. You pursue peace with all people. You pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And you make sure that no root of bitterness springs up in your heart because it'll defile and destroy your life, but it'll also defile others. It's a danger. And there are a lot of people who are really bitter about things that have happened to them or happened to their loved ones. Let's be careful how we handle those situations and make sure that we're being kind and tenderhearted and forgiving in the way that we treat others. That's the counsel of Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Five dangers, drifting, unbelief, the deceitfulness of sin, weariness and bitterness all dangers that every one of us faces while we're trying to walk in this world and please the Lord. May it never be said of us that we were not aware and not watching for the challenges that come our way because the devil will not leave you alone. He won't leave any of us alone while we live in this world. Let's watch for his wiles. Thank you for your kind attention this evening. If we can help you to obey the gospel, the way that somebody becomes a Christian and receives the forgiveness of their sins is through putting their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, confessing his name, repenting of their sin, and being baptized for the remission of their sins. At the point of baptism, you become a Christian. If we can help you to do that tonight, or if we can help you by praying for you and praying with you, whatever your need, won't you come forward while together we stand and while we sing. Thank you.